0: Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Question. Do you feel lost? Do you feel frustrated, down, or crippled with sadness? Do you feel as if everything you're doing is pointless, as if all the work you are doing is returning to you void? Do you feel like God has abandoned you and isn't answering your prayers? Have you lost hope and any positive expectations for the future? If you feel any of these things, then it sounds like you're in a rut. Even if you are not experiencing any acute symptoms, it is possible that you have in the past, may in the future, or that you know someone who is going through a rough patch. In this episode, I hope to offer some reasonable answers and wise counsel to help you navigate out of a rut. Today's program is the sequel to the August 29, 2018 episode of What Christians Should Know. The title of that podcast was Three Ways Out of a Rut. There, I talked about a scene in 1 Kings 19 where the prophet Elijah experienced what could be classified as an episode of spiritual depression. In the chapter before, Elijah was in the midst of a high, yet only a few verses later, we find Elijah in the midst of a low, low point. In 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah sad, isolated, disinterested, apathetic, and pessimistic. He even had thoughts of death and asked God to take his life. Using that story as a backdrop, in the prior podcast, I provided three strategies to get out of a rut. Number one, address your physical needs. Number two, find something to do. And number three, anchor your hope on God's rock. Now I will provide three additional strategies. One. God is allowing you to experience this rut for a reason. Therefore, instead of focusing on the rut, focus on why you are in it. Why are you down? Why are you frustrated? Why do you feel unfulfilled? Sometimes, not knowing why you are in a rut is more disturbing than the rut itself. No one is able to reason with cause less sorrow or develop a solution for an unknown problem. So focus on why you are in this predicament in the first place. Knowing how you got in will clarify how you get out. God is always in control on high even when you are down. So what are some reasons he allows ruts to happen? One reason you are going through a rut is because ruts are totally and completely normal. This is very similar to what I frequently tell patients. It's totally and completely normal for you to get a minor illness from time to time. That's why God gave you an immune system to fight off the sickness. If you have a cold here and there or get an occasional case of the sniffles, that does not mean you have some strange catastrophic disease. It means that you are a regular person. Hence, it's normal for Christians to have spiritual ups and downs throughout their life. Oftentimes, Christianity is portrayed as a fabricated ideal where every day you are supposed to have these phenomenal experiences and everyone is always supposed to be brimming with cheerfulness. That is a lie. Real life is real and real life is not a continuous stream of happy-happy. Thus, getting into a rut every now and then is what is supposed to happen. Just ask the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Just ask King David in the Psalms. Just ask the prophet Habakkuk when he begins his Old Testament book essentially yelling at God. Just ask Job. Just ask Jesus while in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was under so much duress that he sweated blood. Probably one of the most fitting examples of the normalcy of ruts is the prophet Jeremiah, also known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was a man called by God and God specifically told him that he would give Jeremiah words that people would boldly ignore. It's no wonder you can feel Jeremiah's brokenheartedness pouring through the pages of his book. In fact, Jeremiah was so broken at one point that he tried to walk out on God. Yet in Jeremiah 20, verses 7 to 9, the text says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Ultimately, Jeremiah could never walk away from the God that he loved. The point is that when godly laborers carry the heavy burden of souls in a blind and deaf world, it's totally normal to sink under that weight. It's totally normal to feel empty if you pour yourself out for other sakes. Another reason God allows us to go through ruts is to remind us that we are far less strong than we think we are. In a classic lecture that Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave to his students called A Minister's Fainting Fits, he said, The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know, that they are but dust. End quote. It only makes sense that when God uses natural people to do supernatural work, that from time to time they enter periods of gloom. We are therefore reminded that if we rely on our natural resources, we will be easily spent, but if we rely on God's supernatural resources, He is never spent. All faithful servants of God are equipped by our gracious Lord to do His work by grace. Ruts, therefore, refine our faith and compel us to turn back to God. Another reason God allows us to go through ruts is so that you can actually experience what it feels like. You can then relate to the downs, the thoughts, and the psychological suffering so that you can sincerely counsel others and help them when they need help. I may not know what your unique situation is, but I do know that you are an expert in your unique experiences. Thus, when someone else goes through the same thing, you will be able to offer sound advice, actualized by real life. Another reason God allows us to go through ruts is timing. What I mean by that is, when we search the scriptures, what becomes evidently clear is that great lows either come soon after or soon before great triumphs. On the one hand, the way God likes to work is to follow great triumphs with great sorrow. He does this to prevent the person from getting conceited and to expose the person to the incomprehensible magnitude of the spiritual resources the task requires. So, for example, in the case of Elijah, he had a great triumph in 1 Kings 18 and then a great low that followed after in 1 Kings 19. On the other hand, an enduring reason to hope is that ruts often come right before something big. Jesus had the lowest of all lows on the cross and the glory of the resurrection three days later. In the dark night of the soul, we feel despair and cannot perceive what lies ahead. yet. This simply is the setup to the dawn that is soon to come. When the morning light comes, the joy and warmth of the day is all the sweeter because you remember where you came from. The way to the resurrection is always through the cross, never around it. The way to victory always comes by facing Goliath, not running away. The way into the promised land always goes by fighting to capture Jericho, not by camping out on the other side of the Jordan. Challenges, struggles, and ruts often precede something big. A final reason why God is allowing the rut to happen is simple it's because you're working too much. When was the last time you took a vacation or actually took a day off? We are saved by faith, not attendance at midweek church services or volunteering. You're in a rut because reality is telling you that you have to take a break. It's not a mistake that God programmed the Sabbath into creation for a reason. The Sabbath is God telling us that all of creation needs to pause one out of every seven days so that all will be maximally effectual in the six days that follow. Genesis 2.2 says that on the seventh day, God rested. If Sabbath rest is what God did, then let us follow His example. 2. Pray your way out of the rut. What removes all of those felt deficiencies in a rut is prayer. What lightens the weight of a burden in a rut is prayer. What gives you clarity in the rut is prayer. The reality is when you feel down, one of the last things you want to do is pray. When you feel unmotivated, lack hope, or if you feel like nothing that you do matters anyway, then what's the point of prayer? Well, realize that in prayer, you are not just kneeling in your prayer closet. You are now entering into a spiritual dialogue with God himself. In prayer, you are in the presence of divinity, and in his presence, you cannot be troubled because you are protected. You cannot be pierced by negative thoughts, nor can you be injured by dark emotions. Psalm 46 opens by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalm will then go on to say twice that God is our stronghold. When you are in a rut, what you need is a very present help. What you need is an agent who can provide strength in the protective setting of a stronghold. And that's exactly what God has promised to do. Yes, you may pray and not feel anything immediately, but in His Word, God never promised to provide instant results. What He did promise is that those who seek refuge in the mighty fortress that God is, He will protect them from all those pesky things causing your rut. God communicates to us by His Word, but we communicate our needs to God through prayer. In seeking God's help, prayer is the means by which you will understand why you are in a rut. It is the means by which you will obtain clarity in the rut, and it is the means by which you secure strength to endure the rut. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We draw close to our refuge and strength through prayer, so never ever underestimate the power of prayer. This means that you pray daily. This means that you pray purposefully, that you pray patiently. Psalm 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. Note that this verse does not specify how long the psalmist waited. It simply says, I waited patiently. This could mean they waited a day, a week, or could even mean longer. The length of time is uncertain. What is certain is that God will respond to those who wait through prayer. Listen to what the psalm says next. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Pray persistently and do not grow weary in persistence, because the persistence itself is a sign of faith. In prayer, God may not act to do the things that you desire, but He is always doing something. In fact, what prayer always does effectually is change the one who is praying and draw them closer to the Lord. So while you will neither underestimate the power of prayer nor minimize God's response, you can rejoice in the answers you do receive because God is always doing something. You may not be able to sense it, but He is more active than you can sense. Do you have the able-bodiedness to do? Then God is preserving you. Are you inclined to search the scriptures? That's God working in you. Do you still believe that God is in charge? That is the fingerprint of God's handiwork. Pray with a psalm in mind. I just read from Psalm 46, and that is a great place to start. It was Martin Luther's favorite. Also, pray with boldness. 1 John 5, 14-15 says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. And do you know what is according to God's will? To reveal to you why you are in a rut. This is what James 1-2 says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, whether you encounter various trials, and a rut is a form of a trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Therefore, you can always pray with bold confidence, knowing that God has already promised that He will generously give you wisdom as to why your trial is happening, what your trial means, and what He seeks to teach you. Certainty of God's definite responses stem from the grace of faith that God grants us. Three, the final strategy to get out of a rut is learn how to fight for spiritual joy. Let me say that again. Learn how to fight for spiritual joy. Reality teaches us a valuable lesson, that if you want something, you have to fight for it. If you want to be healthy, you have to make conscious daily decisions about what you eat. Paying no mind to what you ingest leaves you unhealthy and susceptible to disease. The same rule applies in education, finances, and your relationships. Fighting for them begets positive outcomes, while passivity leads to decay. Spiritually speaking, joy is a benefit that we derive from God, but we have to fight for it. We have to work at it, and we have to pursue it. Life is unreliable in that if we put our faith in others or situations, we will invariably be let down. This is the point. Anything else is an unreliable source of joy, but Christ isn't. In John 4.14, Christ says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. In John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. This is not to suggest that our lives will always be filled with limitless joy all the time. We still live in a broken world, and the Bible is clear that our best life is never now. It will be in heaven forever. The fact remains that because we live in a broken world, there are many things that actively try to take our joy away. So we have to fight for it. And when we fight for it, God lifts us up out of a rut. So how do we fight for joy? We fight for joy by asking God to satisfy us by his grace. In Psalm 90.14, the text says, O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Notice what this verse begins by saying, "...satisfy us." Of course, if the psalmist were fully satisfied, he would not need to ask God for satisfaction. Fighting for joy therefore means seeking for it from the Lord. The psalmist also says, "...satisfy us in the morning." Meaning this petition is daily, and this petition happens before the day starts. We ought not to ask for joy after our day is done. Rather, we secure fresh supplies of grace every morning to equip us for what lies ahead. Lamentations 3.22-23 In Psalm 51.12, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with the willing spirit. God can only restore what was once there and is now missing. So, if we follow King David's example, we fight for joy by crying out to the Lord and asking Him to grace us with the totality of life that only He can provide. We fight for joy knowing that God will reward you. Ephesians 6.8 says, Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. What this verse tells us is that even if all your work is done in private and seemingly goes unnoticed by the world, God notices, but not only does he notice, but he will also reward those who do good. This is especially fitting for people who are in ruts because of thankless, discouraging situations. You may be down because it seems as if all of your expenditures are not profitable, but Ephesians 6 tells us that you are prospering and that God will reward you. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So keep on fighting for joy, knowing that the struggle itself is an admirable task and that God will look upon your labors favorably and recompense them. Fight for joy, knowing that oftentimes in your Christian life, you may not feel tremendous joy. Be aware that feeling this way is okay. Feeling this way does not mean you are broken or less than a Christian. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to feel warm and fuzzy on the inside to fight for God. You can still not feel like it and praise God. That's what the fighting is all about. Hence, you find joy in the pursuit of the Lord. Psalm 86, 10-13 says, For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God is always deserving of your praise, regardless of your feelings. This sentiment is expressed in Psalm 86, when the writer says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Unite my heart to fear your name. Regardless of temperament or emotions, you can still confess the objective fact that God is supremely valuable and you can refuse to seek joy from anything else. In fact, these objective realities lay the foundation upon which joy is built. When you fight for joy and express an honest longing for God, you are affirming your faith. In your daily fight, you can praise God with all that you do have in anticipation of receiving the joy that you desire. Indeed, you may not have power over how you feel, but you do have power over your words. Therefore, let us use our words to praise God in the fight for joy. The doing will eventually animate the feeling. Psalm 85.6 says, Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? So yes, getting out of a rut is work. It requires fighting for spiritual joy, but the end result far outweighs the energy expended. In the first point of this program, I said it's totally normal to oftentimes feel empty, especially when you pour yourself out for the sake of others. It's crucial to understand that God never intended for us to stay empty, but to be filled up by God. Yes, we kill evil passions and desires, but not so that we are passionless or desireless. If that were the case, we would just be stoic and apathetic. We kill those negative things so that we cultivate new spiritual passions and desires that delight in God. An example of such a newfound desire is godliness and intimacy with God. As a result of seeking God, we are gifted with joy. This joy will help us to persevere in the midst of a rut, even if an exit is not clearly visible. Well, that will conclude my three pieces of counsel on how to get out of a rut. We are not alone in our struggle because the same spirit that raises us to new life is also there to help us. He sustains our lives and equips us with what we need to press on in that life. It is never by our might or power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will end with another quote from the late, great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wrote, "...any simpleton can follow the narrow path in the light. Faith's rare wisdom enables us to march on in the dark with infallible accuracy." since she places her hands in that of her great guide. End quote. Yea, and amen to that. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.